Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. And we are here to talk about the first place Chicago Cubs. Oh, first sorry, place. wrong script. Oh, wrong script, yeah, you guys. Um, <laughs> no, sorry. I'm uh, being told that the Cubs are very bad. So, excuse me, that was a slip-up on my part. And apparently they were swept again this weekend by the Kansas City Royals. Mm. So, uh, we will talk about that. We have some more future-oriented things to talk about. We've got some injury news, unfortunately, to talk about as it relates to Nico Horner. And we'll talk about everything in between. But right off the bat, Brendan, the Cubs, we we sort of started taking a look at this a week or two ago in terms of the 2022 draft position as it became Mm. readily apparent the Cubs were now really threatening to make that conversation interesting and I, I gotta tell you their strategy to keep playing teams that are in that top 10 range like the Marlins and the Royals and just not ever beating them is really solid if you're into this whole tanking thing you know finally they're consistent we've been talking about inconsistencies yes. for years Corey and finally this is August 2021 they're finally consistent I I don't know, man. Honestly, like, uh, you know, I'm still trying to find storylines to follow. And they're there, right? Keegan Thompson and Schwindel and Wisdom. But I, mm-hmm. I, I got to say, I, I've never looked forward to an offseason in my entire life in this one yeah. at this point. And, like, that's not a, that's not a, it's not condemning some of these current guys. I'm just, I'm, I'm exhausted doing this. It's, it's, it's so much. Well, and at its core, I think no matter how much, you and I or anybody writing about the team, covering the team, or just, you know, people just watching along, no matter how much we try to find these interesting things and take a look at silver linings, and even now, you know, we're several weeks removed from the trade deadline, you kind of come to accept these things, etc., it still is really not great, like every single day, yeah, your favorite team just loses, they stink, they're the you know one of the the jokes of of the league when you're watching highlight shows and things like that and so no matter how much we try to dial in on this other stuff it is pretty exhausting just every single day cuz i don't know about if you're listening to this obviously you can't do this but maybe you're not as tuned in with the actual games and things like that but I, I, I assume most of us just can't turn it off. Even if you're not watching every pitch or every minute of every game, you're still making it a point to check what's happening and, and check in a little bit. And so every day is just filled with, oh, yeah. how bad did the Cubs do today? Like, what embarrassing stat do we have for us today? And on Sunday, Brendan, it was that they've now lost 13 straight games at Wrigley Field. Is that what it is, 13 now? See, 
I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I believe it, it It either tied or set a franchise record. I mean, that's disgusting. I can't even believe we're talking about this. And and, and, like, and what's particularly interesting about that is that for all of the inconsistency like that you just mentioned over the last several years, one thing they have been really good at generally is winning at Wrigley Field. So this, right. in, a, in, a, in a set of new things we're seeing, at least new within the last five or six years, this is not something we've seen a lot of. The Cubs have generally been very, very good at Wrigley Field. In some of the past years, one of the main reasons that they you know, didn't make the playoffs or that it was as tight down the, the schedule as it was was that they couldn't win on the road. Yeah. Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know. It's like watching this team is is such a chore at this point. And like, I'm trying to watch the game today on Sunday, right? So you're, I'm watching the game on Twitter. I'm interested in some of these at-bats by wisdom. And like, you can't help but see what the other guys are doing. Like, to like I'm not right. actively seeking this. Like, all right, well, you know, Rizzo was interviewed this morning about the trade deadline three and a half weeks ago. I didn't ask for that. Why is that popping up in my newsfeed today? Like three weeks after it happened, and then you see like Javi buys the slides and everything. It's like, ugh. It's like you can't you can't hide away from this, and to see like <laughs> the, whatever you call it, the 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 game in Iowa, the Field of Dreams game, right? It's like how funny was that to see the promo for that game? It's like Jason yes. Hayward and Patrick Wisdom, and like I love Wisdom. Don't get me wrong, but he in my mind six months ago was like the guy coming out in spring training to replace Rizzo in the eighth inning of like a March 25th game, right? It's just, it's mind-boggling to see how fast it slipped. And then, and then, and then, I don't want to like get into this whole like bashing thing, but then you have like the Saving Wrigley Field documentary, Corey. And it was interesting. Don't get me wrong. I think like if if you've been going to Wrigley Field for- Okay, I didn't watch it, but if you go, if you go into Wrigley Field for two decades, like you knew Wrigley was falling apart, right? But like, miss me on the like holy divinity ownership group who's saying they're they're basically the the godsend to right. Wrigley Field. Like, like miss very me on very that. weird timing, and I assume very weird you know timing. that and the Hall of Fame that they did in Wrigley Field are things that they've had in the works, and the timing is just how it worked out. Right? Yeah, and I, I, I doubt I don't think they planned it this way, but definitely, uh, you know, kind of one of those like, could you guys read the room a little bit? Like you're talking about preserving Wrigley Field, this and that. <laughs> While we're, while you literally just set a record for how many games in a row you've lost at said stadium, right. and like you're bleeding season ticket holders and stuff like that, it just it's like one of those things where it's like I know it's not this simple. I'm sure this was planned out like months in advance, but it's just like guys, like this is just like not the right time, not, not the right time, the not right the right time. message. Like nobody, this really isn't the time for this. Like any time over the last six years would have been a great time for this stuff, right? The interest would have been at a peak. And like, this is just not, yeah, this is just not the, you're, you're just not reading the room. No. Like this is just a very poor thing to be doing. And it um, seems so sudden. It's like I didn't even I didn't even know about it, right? Like I didn't know we we're gonna have this like new Cubs Hall of Fame. Did you know about that? I didn't know about that. I and hadn't like, heard about it until they yeah. announced it. Yeah. And so like why wasn't that more of a big deal? Like if you're gonna try to get more PR that's healthy yeah. for the franchise, I would imagine they would have promoted that. And I think a lot of people would have been behind well, it. Well, and and just like a weird, I mean, we could go into like that whole Hall of Fame thing, but you know, generally like it is what it is. Um but 
it is an odd choice that like, you know, you and I, I know there's criteria and generally with most Hall of Fames, obviously time has to pass before guys reach a threshold or things like that. But like there, there's just, uh, they, they gotta, I, I know how this ownership group feels about Sammy Sosa. And I think you and I have talked about that in particular on here. So I don't want to digress too much into that, but there's just such a strong lack of, players that I think younger fans will identify with, right? Like, I love seeing Fergie Jenkins. I love seeing Billy Williams, all these guys. I, like, I loved Ron Sano, and I I miss him, and he was such a huge part of my life, even though I never watched him play. I wasn't even close to being alive when he was playing, right? But at some point, it's like, you guys know that like a 15-year-old or a 10-year-old doesn't really care about Rick Sutcliffe, right? Like there's just something about it (laughs) where it's like, okay, fine, you don't want to do Sammy Sosa. You got to start, you know, being like more strongly recognizing some of these other guys at some point because the 1969 team just isn't doing it for people younger than you and I, Brendan, as important as they are to so many people, like my relatives, my dad, my grandma, my mom included, right? So I'm not dismissing that stuff, but it's just like one of those things where like that's another thought that I had and not only just how weird the timing of all this was and how, uh, you know, kind of tone deaf certainly the documentary felt with all the, the Ricketts love and stuff like that. But just you gotta like get some youth in in these these groups right. that you're honoring and like constantly acting as like the Cubs ambassadors. Yeah, and the the ownership bashing, if if you want to call it that, like Corey and I have been on this podcast for years. Like, of course, we wanted them to spend more money, but this entire franchise, top to bottom, made crucial mistakes. So I'm not. This is not us saying, "Oh, screw the owners; they're at fault here." No, it's just like, all right, what are you guys doing here? The same day. And this is the PR group. The same day that Michael Hermosillo says, I grew up as a diehard Cubs fan, in part because of Sammy right, Sosa. Right. And then the same day, you don't you don't even put him in your new Hall of Fame. It's such it's such a stark contrast and yeah. it seems so counterproductive. And you look across uh, the, the coast and like, I've been watching Giants games, right? Like I watch KBs like every at bat. Uh, Barry Bonds is still very much in their picture, and I Bonds, think that took them a while. To be fair, though, f- okay, they're there. Yeah, I don't know how long it's taken, but like Bonds has been in that franchise now for at least like what three, four years since being the hitting coach for the Marlins. Like he got there, right? So I don't care how long it took, but like Bonds is way more controversial. Than, than Sammy Sosa was, and for obvious reasons. But it's like, you're going to pick that hill to die on, this ownership yeah. group, when it seems to me, and this is just my Twitter perspective, the overwhelming majority of fans our age, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, above 40, like, most of them really like Sammy Sosa. So, mm-hmm. huh, it seems like that might be a good olive branch. To, well, and it, to I, I mean, I think there's also too, like there's a, a fine line between you, you don't have to bring him back to act in a similar role as we see Fergie Jenkins in or, you know, when, when Ernie Banks was still with us, like how frequently they were with the team and leading events and speaking and things like that. 
there's a there's a middle ground probably between that and just mostly pretending he doesn't exist except for when he's uh, the legend of the game, the thing they do in in between innings sometimes at Wrigley Field. But anyway, like the the overall point is not to get too much into this because there's a lot of nuance here, and our opinion doesn't really matter. Obviously, it's more so just to say that I, I get how all this works, but the messaging at this time from the front office to be doing this stuff, you know, building a Hall of Fame, which I think is good and fine, yeah, I think it's but awesome. honoring past players after you just traded away some of the biggest ones and now you're losing every game you play, coupled with releasing a documentary that mostly focuses on how great the ownership group is, like it of all times for all this stuff, I think whether you are a big fan or not a fan at all, you can agree that the timing and the sort of tone of it all is just very strange and probably not exactly right. But I do want to circle back to something that you brought up, which was the Field of Dream game. And the Cubs are going to be in that next year against the Reds, which I think is cool. I don't think we talked about this at all, but that game and the broadcast, I I like the movie. It's not like my favorite movie or anything, but I thought that broadcast was great. And, you know, for the most part, if you ask me like Sunday Night Baseball, um, the All-Star game, most of that stuff I think is terrible. And I thought that Fox and um, the MLB nailed this. It was really good. It was really well produced. It was really well shot. It was just really cool to see. And again, that's coming from someone who's, you know, enjoys the movie, but I'm not some like big Field of Dreams or, you know, whatever fan. What's your favorite baseball movie? Um, I pr- probably the Sandlot. I guess I got to be honest with you. I've always really liked um, Little Big League because of yeah, the way that's it a great ends. One. Yeah, a, I like you know the rookie rookie of the year is an all timer. Sure, I the, the Little Big League is great to me because it ends like not as optimistically as you expect it to. <laughs> so you love a sad ending. Yeah, well, I, there's. It's always been funny <laughs> so to me. It, it, the so whole you. movie feels like it's building up to be one of those feel good. They did it kind of moments, and then here comes Ken Griffey Jr. right out of frame to rob the home run to end their season. It's great. I'm like, I hated that ending. That made me extremely sad. You know, like I thought even the rookie I of like the year ending more was now. sad. Huh? I like it even more now that it made you sad. All right, we're not doing this. But okay. Anyway, back to the Field of Dreams game. So the Cubs are going to be in it against the Reds. And Brendan, like, again, I'm not, this isn't even like meant to be like, let's let's bash Jason Hayward, right? But I, I do have to tell you, when I saw the, so I originally saw the tweet that the MLB account put out, which had, I believe, uh, Winker and Votto for the Reds and Contreras and Wisdom for the Cubs. And I was like, okay, I mean, I guess this is what they're doing. And then I saw the other one that had Contreras and Hayward. And I mean, I'm not kidding, man. I laughed out loud. Who else are you going to put on there, though? This Contreras so I don't, and who else? I, I, if it had to be hitters, I guess I don't know. But like Kyle Hendricks, is, you oh, yeah. can't put Kyle yeah. Hendricks on these things. People know who Kyle Hendricks is. I don't know. I don't know. I'm Kyle Hendricks is, is a good baseball player. How about we the start best. there? Yeah, right? As like, opposed to Hay- Hayward, really? I don't know. Hayward's more of a superstar, I guess. I mean, I laughed at it too. According to who? What? I don't know. I'm saying like superstar by what? I'm saying by not a single person's definition. Listen, don't you do this all the time? Don't spin my word uh, with this. Like people 
recognize Jason Hayward more than most any other Cub, probably. Even yeah, even they Hendricks. recognize him. Go read the replies to the Cubs tweet to see what they think <laughs> when they recognize him. That was a disaster. Look again. I'm not trying to. I'm not. I'm not ragging on the guy. We all know the deal there, right? We don't need to like relitigate that all the time. It was just really funny. I mean, especially coming off of basically five straight years, right, of either Brizzo or Javi Baez being in those promo images and things like that, or John Lester, whoever it was. Mm-hmm. It, I, I laughed out loud when it was Hayward because I was just like, this is this is certainly a way to hype a baseball game. Uh, that This is a choice that, that somebody Austin made Roman, to, to make this poster. You can put the brothers there, Austin and Andrew Roman, you know. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, look, I mean, I I get that the options were uh, not good, and this was coming off. Jason Hayward just built a, um, you know, a a youth baseball facility in the city of Chicago. So, you know, again, like, uh, this isn't like a, you know, trash Jason Hayward thing. I just thought it was funny. It's just, uh, you know, it's... It's it speaks to the point we are at in Chicago Cubs baseball that the key issue in the promo graphic was them swapping Patrick Wisdom for Jason Hayward out of these, uh, you know, in these these graphics. Well, it, listen, it, next year when Rizzo is back, you just put Rizzo in that in that promo, and everything's fine. Right, you're gonna you are really setting yourself up for quite the emotional roller coaster this off season, my friend. I, I have the only way I survive these two months is if I think like that. That's just how I am. Okay, it's not well, it's not healthy. I will let I know you it's not healthy, keep but. thinking that. So anyway, us rambling about all this stuff aside, I guess we can transition to the Cubs playing baseball. I'm not going to recap these three games with the Royals, but I will tell you the Cubs did lose all of them. Uh, I think the main things of note here are going to be Keegan Thompson's start on Saturday, and I think Patrick Wisdom had a, a nice weekend, hit some bombs, hit one to Waveland, which was pretty cool. Yes, um, and let's just start with Keegan Thompson. So he's making uh, the start here. Uh, unlike Justin Steele, this was not Keegan's first, you know, official MLB start, but of course this is his first start in this renewed stretching out, get him back into the rotation, see what he has in 2021 and how that plays into 2022. So similar to the first one we saw from Steele against the Brewers, this is kind of the first foray. You sort of see how it goes. And as I, you know, I assume we saw with Steele, the next time we see Keegan out there, I would think that we'll see some different sequencing, some different pitches used, kind of working toward a different goal. Um, but I did want to throw it to you to let us know, in particular, anything that interested you, um, maybe different from how he was using things in the bullpen back to now being a starter, and then anything you're taking from this one and kind of really looking for him to do in that second start. I think the thing that jumps out to me, obviously, you know, two walks, just one strikeout, kind of felt similar to Steele, where you're you know not getting the whiffs that you want, and you're kind of, at least for me, in that second starter as we go forward here, looking to see how he tries to elicit those whiffs in, in these hitters. Yeah, he looked really similar to his time out of the bullpen in terms of pitch usage. So when he was a reliever, he was throwing four seams about 45% of the time, so you know half the time. And then he would throw a cutter once every four pitches and then a curveball once every four pitches. So he's a three-pitch guy, just four-seam, cutter, and curveball. And out of the bullpen, like, that's more than enough. You just want to have two good pitches. 
out of the rotation, he may need another secondary pitch separate from his curveball and I guess his cutter, which move horizontally the same way. It's very similar to the story with Alzelay, where Alzelay has a new cutter, but he also has a slider, curveball, four-seamer, sinker. And lately, before his injury, Alzelay started to use a changeup more, a pitch that moved the other way separate from his uh, curveball and his slider and his cutter. So I was curious if Thompson would showcase that out of his first start, and he didn't do it. So he only threw one changeup. He was principally same exact usage, four-seamer, cutter, and uh, curveball. That's not that's that's fine. That's fine for where he's at right now, and it's going to be a work in progress. And maybe ultimately that stuff plays up so well that he doesn't need that that third secondary pitch. Um, I think in due time he probably will, which is it's okay. I think he can still develop it. He developed that cutter this year. It's a new cutter. So with Tommy Hadvi and Craig Breslow, they're able to rapidly translate new pitches into these guys' repertoires. I think for Thompson, that's what we're going to be looking at. So in terms of like what he actually looked like, I was watching him pretty closely. I thought the command was not good, uh, not as sharp as I hoped. Not unsurprisingly, though, he had some command issues before he got stretched out down there in Iowa. So that kind of persisted, I thought. The velocity was encouraging. He sat like 93, 95 early on, more more so like 94-ish. And then as the game went on, the velocity went down a little bit. So overall, he averaged 92.5 miles per hour, which is really good out of the rotation. And that's down two miles per hour from his year rate out of the bullpen. So not outrageous to be expected. And to see 92.5, I think that's great out of the bullpen. Cutter also looked pretty good. He sat around 90 miles per hour. That, that's awesome. And I think the curveball, he threw it 20% of the time, similar to what we saw out of the bullpen. Uh, he got no whiffs with that pitch. So that's a problem. That's where the command of that pitch was just not good. And I don't think it was set up well by his fastball because his fastball was not uh, commanded well either. So I think if he were throwing changeups, he just didn't get the opportunity to do it because he was behind so much and not really locating well with his other pitches. So it's a work, it's a work in progress. Overall, I would say steals like recent first start, more encouraging not to contrast it to, but you can't help but do it given their roles for 2022. But I think from Steele's point of view, he was showing more change-ups. He's showing the ability to throw four or five pitches. For Thompson right now, he's kind of a three-pitch guy. Um, and I that that's why I was alluding to earlier on in maybe the the second previous episode from this one. But I, I think if we're going to bet on any of these guys getting into the rotation for next year, like even Mills, for example. Like I would bet Steele is that guy just because he does have five pitches. He's got the velo, he's the lefty. And for Thompson, he needs to be really sharp with that command. That's why Alice Eli's been so good this year because that four-seamer, that sinker, that slider has been commanded so well to the point where his walk per nine has been under three. So that's why Alice Eli's so good. And for Keegan Thompson to be similarly productive with a similar repertoire, that command needs to be improved a lot. And that actually might be the focal point before he even starts developing these new secondary pitches. Yeah. So overall, it was four innings, five hits, two earned, two walks, one strikeout on 73 pitches for Thompson. Worth noting that the first inning was around 30 pitches and, you know, obviously featured giving up some runs. He got screwed there though. Some of the uh, base hits were just like, you know, 
unfortunate basis. Yeah, not the best contact. Um, but yeah, and you know, just I, I throw that out there to consider just because a long first inning like that, hot, muggy day in Chicago, it does sort of set not the best tone for the outing. So mm-hmm. nice to see Keegan settle down a little bit as the game went on. And you know, that it's not to make excuses, but it's that's a tough way to start. So it does sort of, you know, put you behind the eight ball as you continue going through that. So it was nice to see him kind of settle down and, you know, overall have a, a decent enough line, if not uh, missing the strikeouts. So that that's what you're looking for going forward. But again, not to always compare it to steel, but just in the sense of, you know, kind of trying to accomplish a similar thing. This is number one. You kind of use it as a building block, see what he does next time, and they've they've got these, uh, you know, this month plus to show what they have. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that, and, and hopefully Thompson is a little more exciting in that next outing. He said after the game that he was not particularly thrilled with the outing, so I think he's obviously hoping for more from himself uh, as we go forward here as well. Want to move to not as fun news, uh, and that is that Nico Horner was rehabbing uh, this afternoon. Again, we're recording this on Sunday, and he was making his first appearance with the South Bend Cubs today, and in the middle of the at-bat, took a swing and felt uncomfortable and left the game. Remember, he was rehabbing an oblique injury, uh, and we've seen in the past, you know, Cole Hamels is a guy that comes to mind, these injuries sometimes take a significant amount of time to rehab, and, and there is the ability to come back too early, things like that. The official word that we have, um, we're recording this at about 10 o'clock in Chicago, so by the time you listen to this on Monday, we may have more of an official word, but the official word from the team is that he felt increased tension along his right oblique and felt it and opted not to push further. So at least what we are hearing is that he just felt unease and decided, hey, I'm going to, you know, pull the plug on this for the day. Not that he re-injured it or something like that. Perhaps that's what happened, but they'll they'll need to look at things on Monday to actually figure that out. At least what they're saying right now is that he just didn't like the way it felt, and as opposed to pushing through it and seeing if he could just continue, opted to call it for the day. So we'll see if they... Uh, put him back out there in a few days if he feels better and, you know, nothing is is changed with the injury. If they shut him down, I don't know. Obviously, there's not a lot of time left um, in, you know, even the major league season, right? You're a little over a month now to get back in there. But um, a lot of kind of implications of this, Brendan. So the first is that, to me, you know, really what's disappointing here, and and we do have to wait to see what happens. I mean, obviously, this isn't good, and you definitely do not want to push an injury like this. Remember, I, I brought up Cole Hamels because you'll remember when he came back from the oblique the, the second time, he had mentioned how he had had that injury before and made the mistake of coming back too early. And so you definitely don't want them doing that. You want them being careful with Nico. Um, but it's, it's disappointing in the sense that you really wanted, so at this point, Nico hasn't played since July 28th against the Reds. 
and you really wanted him to get back here so we could get a little bit more of a sample of him against Major League Pitching and seeing if he could continue making adjustments, and I know you've been frequently pointing out the lack of power, and just see some more encouraging signs there as we headed in to 2022. Even as early as today, when they were talking about him going on this rehab assignment, Ross was saying that when he came back, he would be getting all the looks at shortstop in an effort to kind of see how they felt about that heading into the offseason and and thinking about Nico Horner maybe being the shortstop of this team come 2022. So all of those plans, you never know. You don't know how they're going to approach free agency, things like that. But if this is indeed a setback, there's not a lot of time to deal with that. And now you're kind of wondering, are we going to get more of a look at him? And if you don't, how do you feel about where things leave off for Nico Horner after this season in which he, you know, is is at this point has only taken 134 at bats for the Cubs. And and where does that leave you with your kind of confidence or or thought on what his role would be going into spring training next year? His role is going to be significant. It's just dependent on where he plays. Do they want to play him at shortstop? Do they want to play him in center field, for example? He's got reps in the outfield in the past, but Ultimately, his best position is second base. Even in 2020, in that small sample, he rated in the 95th percentile for outs above average. And then in this year's sample, it was 98th, the 98th percentile. So almost no one defensively was as useful as Nico at second base. And that matched the eye test. So him going to shortstop was logical because he showcased the range his arm strength has improved in the questions that are fair that i i do share as well uh maybe not as confident about my uh, opinions on uh, with him at shortstop but i do think they're justified is does he have the range for shortstop does he have the arm for shortstop we needed to know that and we're maybe not going to be able to know that so mm-hmm. i think that does dramatically affect 2022, if he's not able to come back, let's say for, you know, another few more weeks until September, mid-September, that that does that does change things, at least how I operate. He's going to be a significant part of this team, there's no doubt about it. It's just if we knew if if he could handle shortstop and the peripherals looked okay even in the small sample but the eye test matched it, in my mind that frees up so much more room to go after, for example, outfielders. Maybe second base and shortstop, if Nico had a more of a, of a confident sample, wouldn't have been prioritized. Not to say that, oh, yes, in six weeks, you will know if Nico's your shortstop. No, but Jed may have been more comfortable going into the offseason, not making that a priority and just seeing how it worked in 2022 and trying to then, either at the deadline or as the year went on, improve that position if it needed to be improved that's the biggest problem for me and i don't even think like you you saw the video today it's i don't see him coming back next week he took himself out of the game right like we're approaching september here at this point is it even enough like i i don't i don't know it's, it's when you have madrigal too who seems kind of limited at second base I, it does make you question, how is this going to work out when you have two guys who profile very similarly? You need to play both of them. I don't know where that's going to be. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think if anything, I mean, you know, firstly, like obviously, you don't want somebody dealing with injuries, right? So that's just never good in the first place. But you know, Madrigal also coming off an injury, but Madrigal in his time in the majors, I think has shown pretty, you know, his elite contact skill, and that has shown in the games that he's played. And which, I by the way, the, contact is the most projectable trait. If you look for any type of value that you want to project, is contact rate. So, uh, not to interject there, but I think like it doesn't get talked about that much because his value is tied to his contact, and that's a really, really good thing because that deviates the least amount. And you can right. I, you can you can confidently project Corey with that type of contact rate. He's he's going to be at least a league average hitter. And right. so that is so significant for six years, and you need to find a room for that. So I, I, I see, oh, you gave up Kimbrell for a contact guy. No, like you gave up Kimbrell for a very projectable hitter. They're very, like Magical is legitimately the best at what he does, Corey. Right. And so, you know, just in terms of Nico, I think the, again, aside from, you, know, you just don't want guys dealing with injuries, of course, um, but the, 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 disappointing, concerning, whatever word you want to use is, and and not that him coming back for a month would necessarily clarify things or offer you this great large sample to give you absolute certainty on things, but it's, you know, this whole year is just now presenting itself as, as just not being... Uh, a big developmental year for him. You're you're, yeah. you're going to have if it if he doesn't come back, it's 134 at bats over 39 games. If he comes back in a couple weeks, you know, add 20 something games to that. Right? It's just not going to offer you a lot of certainty in terms of what you're thinking of for him. And that's what I think is the most disappointing thing here. And as you mentioned, it it is going to sort of, I, I, I would, again, I, I don't know that him coming back just for September would have really cleared things up for Jed as we head into this offseason, but it's certainly very likely not to happen now. And I think now you go into this offseason going, okay, like we didn't get to see him again. Like, I don't know how do we feel about him at, at the plate? How do we feel about him taking over shortstop if that's the direction you want to go? I mean, how do you go? feel about that? Like, you have Madrigal. He's going to be there next year. You have Nico. Like, you have no one else. So if they're going to go into I mean, so for me, I mean, and, and, I, and again, I don't know if I would have felt this way had he come back. I don't know. This is how I feel today. I would be looking at the shortstop market. Um, I, I would be looking— Then where do you play these guys? Seriously, like, where would you play Nico then? Like his bat. You you figure that out. I, I it it's just hard. I mean, right Outfield? now, I just I don't. It would depend how much money they're spending and where they're spending that money. But right now, I'm just not sure how confident I. If you may, if you told me that was the middle infield next year, I just don't know how confident I feel in that. You've got two guys now dealing, coming off of injuries, who you know are both contact heavy, powerless guys, and one of them, you know, there just isn't a large sample between the two of them in terms of what they're doing at the major league level. So if you went and added a bunch of power. In other places, you know, if they re-signed Anthony Rizzo and brought back Nick Castellanos mm. and stuff, mm. like then, you know, yeah, we can like figure that out. But 
I I just I'm just not sure how confident I am. If you told me right now, like we're planning on Nico being the starting shortstop, like I don't know, yeah. man. It doesn't exactly. Yeah, I, it. I like Nico as a player. I always have, and I and I think that there's a, a you know a spot for him. But I just don't know. I just don't know about that at this moment. Yeah, I mean, if he if. Like, Madrigal's going to be the second baseman, though. This is what I can't stop thinking about. Like, we also don't go- know if they're going to have a DH, which I know, I matters. know, but, like, you yeah. can't... I, of course that matters, but you can't project that right now, right? right. So uh, I don't even know when we'll hear about that. But Madrigal has to play second base. He he cannot play anywhere else. So if Nico is not going to play shortstop, then the same conversation has to be had about his time in the outfield. Like, his arm issues at shortstop are even more magnified in the outfield. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I can't stop thinking. And so if I'm going to improve this team, Corey, I'm going to improve the outfield because I feel as if Nico's going to be more of a defensive liability. I'm using air quotes. I don't think he's going to be a shortstop, but he would more likely be one in the outfield. Sure. Right? So if we improve the shortstop position, which if they do, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm pretty open to anything. But I still have the question of, okay, so Nico's going to get more time in the outfield. Is is that a good thing in center? Or should right. we be looking elsewhere and getting like like Starling Marte in center field, for example? And I think right now, if I had a pick, that would be what I would do. I would improve the outfield, and I would go into 2022 with Nico and Madrigal as my middle infield and be open to the possibility that improvements may need to be made come June, come July. And you can use that prospect uh, value internally to make those types of deals if you need to make those types of deals. But Nico and Madrigal are going to be on this team. Jed in the front office went out to get Madrigal. You're going to have to play them, right? If you want to use, like Nico should be playing probably most of the time. Madrigal should be playing probably most of the time. There is no DH yet. So you have to figure out a way to make this work defensively. No, yeah, I I get it. I just uh, and again, you know, it's it's not just this injury. It's it's mostly looking at Nico's entire 2021, and you know where he sits right now: a 313 average, 388 on base, 388 slugging, good for a 776 OPS. With the defense we've seen him play as a second baseman, you know, it's it's a valuable player. And and again, I like Nico as a player. It's more so just. You know, now like you're looking at this as like, okay, like kind of a, you know, whatever developmental year. Like you didn't really see major strides uh, from the offensive perspective. And, you know, you're, you're, still hoping to see some of that power, a little more slugging, like any slugging, right? And, you know, perhaps this is all we see from him this year. And it just sort of puts you in a, in a tough spot for like, how confident you are in that projection, again, uh, unless you know that they are really supplementing those deficiencies in other spots on the field, which they certainly can do. Yeah. The other but, but thing— de- But defensively, and, defensively, though, Corey, like, take out the offense for a second, right? Are Like, would you be okay with that possibility just from a defensive point Nico of view? Nico short? Yeah, and then Magical a second, right? Like even Magical. I'm has... okay with it. I I don't. I got to be honest with you. I don't love it, but that's mostly coming off of several years of some extremely <laughs> good defensive shortstops on this team. Well, the problem is there's no certainty with that, right? There was a high degree of certainty defensively at shortstop for the past, you know, more right. than half decade. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, that's honestly that's where I'm at too. Is I I think Nico can do it. 
but my confidence in that opinion is very low. And it's, yeah. it's, it's just drawn and from And again, his, yeah. they were hoping to use this time to get him in at shortstop every day. And so we would get a, a better idea of that. You know, it's also, and I, and I know that you, I mean, they, I was about to say, you can't just always get Javi Baez, but they could literally go just get Javi Baez. Um, would you want that? If the price is right, Ooh. I'm interested. $100 million? Uh, would you do it? I, we're not doing this right now. Um, <laughs> you do get kind of used to, like, just what it, when we're talking about this, like, and we're talking about Ken Nico. First of all, Nico's been, uh, you know, is a really good second baseman. So I know you have to play Madrigal, so I get this. I mean, he's one of the best in the league, right. quite literally. So, yeah. you know, you're you're already moving off of something that's been really good. And, you and you know, even though Nico's only played in 107 Major League Baseball games, like you've seen what he can do at second base. You have a pretty solid idea that he's a plus fielder at second base. We don't know how that arm transitions, you know, over the course of a full season. And initially, like the first thing I think of is how often we've watched Javi throw guys out from shallow left field, right? And you're thinking, okay, like you'd be pivoting away from this. Like you're not going to have a disaster of a middle of an infield, but we've seen some really strong middle infield defense from this team uh, over the past six years or so. And if if it was Horner Madrigal, that's not really what you would be getting. And so that's just something to consider. It's just a, a different makeup that you would be considering from how you've kind of been going about things. Uh, another thing on this, and I, I will make it very clear, we've talked about it sort of in, in the vein of like Chris Bryant a lot. I do not like the phrase injury prone because I think it implies something about the the player, the person. It, it just has a negative connotation that I don't like, and I'm not going to use it here. What I do want to note, though, is that Nico's had his share of injuries. And again, not that you predict them to continue happening or, you know, that, that Nico's, you know, people like to say like, oh, that guy's made of glass or something like that. Like people are human. Injuries happen. Sometimes they're freak injuries that just happen to the same people, right? And, you know, a guy dives for a ball or something like that. These things happen, right? But it, it all just sort of goes into the picture of kind of what the uncertainty is, I guess, with Nico as we go forward here. A guy who, as I said, has played 107 MLB games since 2019, was already on a very unique kind of sped up timeline, right? Not many people, if any, expected him to get that call in 2019. And that's a tough adjustment for him to make. You know, it's sped up and things like that. 320 at-bats, and, you know, a decent amount of games missed from injuries. And it, it all just sort of goes to this picture, especially if you're talking about moving him to this different position than he's played at the majority of his time in the major leagues. Again, I like Nico a lot. If you go back to how we've talked about him since he got drafted, we've always been fans of him and his game. But it's, you know, you're just adding... A, a healthy bit of uncertainty to what you're looking at as we transition to this offseason here. I mean, yeah, it's uh, a lot of the injuries he's had in the past, no fault of his own. He ran into Ian Happ, not his fault. He's broken hands, not his fault. So this recent bout with the hamstring and oblique, I don't know to what degree that was influenced by him coming back from the collision, right? Not being maybe in the best shape coming off of a COVID year, best shape I mean like everyday playing time he's not used to this type of season so yeah that does naturally though add a bit of uncertainty to no fault of his own so maybe going to 2022 
but I don't know. Like where I fall back on this is like, does it does it matter? He's going to be playing. Like he's going to be slotted into this lineup as a consistent guy. Sure, and I'm good with that. Yeah. So I guess like we can. I guess I'm just ta- like thinking and talking out loud to myself about this, but does it doesn't even matter at this point because it's not going to determine what the Cubs do. I think right. Like maybe it does. Maybe they do end up going out and getting a shortstop. But like regardless, if they do that, then he's going to the outfield. He's going to be playing, you know, 400, 450 plate appearances next year, no doubt about it. So you kind of have to accept it. It just is what it is. That being said, they should go out and try to get more depth in a worst case scenario, right? Like whether that's bringing back Matt Duffy, I don't even know at this point, but going into next year with a little bit more depth, spending more money on the bench than what they've done in years past might be something they have to do regardless if he comes back in September. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough spot, and and again, more than anything, this is just disappointing uh, for Nico. And you know, he's had a lot of hurdles in in terms of his development. You know, being sent down, being called up early. So uh, you know, give him credit for continuing to kind of battle through it and and try to get to that that ceiling and and where he wants to be as a player. So and he's still hoping, a young guy too. That's yeah, he just turned twenty four a couple months ago. So. Yeah. He's, he's he's young man. So. so hopefully this is a short injury and you know not like a serious reaggravation or anything like that, and he can either get back out there or you know get shut down if that's the right thing to do because there's definitely no need to rush him back for a month here. As much as it would be nice to see him play, get some looks at him at short, and you know continue letting him develop against major league pitching. There, there's no need to push it at this point, um, especially, you know, with the games not really meaning much in terms of the, the win-loss record. So hopefully this is just a small thing and we do get to see him again. Uh, but if it is, hopefully, you know, he just gets shut down and uh, we can ramp it back up in, in, in the winter and once they get to Arizona for spring training. So uh, one more note just to look at, you know, we've kind of been checking in on some of these guys, um, but Patrick Wisdom hitting yep. his 19th and 20th home runs of the year this weekend as I mentioned one of them going to Waveland to break up that no hitter that the Royals were flirting with over the weekend and Brennan he just sort of continues to impress at this point 254 plate appearances that K rate is extremely high it's still 39 percent um, but a 253 average and that's all you know his uh, OBP slugging everything combining Good for a 359 weighted on base average, a 124 WRC plus, and this is someone who is like in very serious conversation. I would say probably with Jonathan India to be the rookie of the year in the in the National League. So at this point, you've got a little over a month, like a month and ten days or something like that left. But he's really put himself in a position to have quite a nice season, and it was like one of those things. Like I remember that that early kind of run with him hitting those home runs and and how exciting it was like sort of wondering like how long can he keep this up right because he was just constantly hitting home runs and it felt like one of those flash in the pan type things where eventually he would get figured out and the production would just completely crater and we haven't really seen that. We've certainly seen some adjustment. We've certainly seen some struggles from him. But typically when he's gone through 
big ruts in his production. He's followed it with with really nice stretches and come back pretty strong from those kind of valleys. And again, like, you know, if he can keep it together for another month, it's going to be a really strong season for him that'll eventually get over 300 plus plate appearances. Yeah, I'm still fascinated by his profile. I think when he first started hot, he was hitting all pitches. And I keep saying that, but I think it's so important because it suggests he can adjust within the at-bat. And that maybe with more adjustments, he can refine and get more contact and limit some of the holes in his swing. One other number that I like, it's, it's, it's bizarre to me, but baseball savant has run value based on where the pitch is thrown, like towards the border of the plate, a waste pitch, all this stuff. So I want to read these numbers. So when he swings or takes, but this is going to be swing, at pitches towards the heart of the plate, he's one of the best in the league with run value. When he swings or takes at pitches right on the borders, he's one of the worst in the league. That's that's okay. Now on pitches that are like your trademark chase pitches, I'm thinking those Javi bias sliders low and away or high fastballs up in the zone. He's well above league average. He actually has positive run value against pitches that are deemed chase and then on waste pitches it's even better he has six runs created on waste pitches so really Patrick Wisdom's hole in his game right now is not due to some hyper aggressive approach if that were the case then his chase run value and his waste run value would reflect that he's also not incapable of hitting uh just Every pitch. So if you look at his run value currently against changeups, plus three. Sinkers, plus two. Slider, plus two. Four-seamer, plus six. So against secondary pitches, off-speed pitches, breaking pitches, and then that high heat, he's hitting the ball well. So he needs to improve against those shadow-type pitches. And I think that could happen just with more exposure. He's had like kind of a weird up and down stretch in the past six weeks where he went to having more contact. Now he kind of trended towards whiffing more within the last two to three weeks. But overall, I, I, I expected more of an extreme regression after his hot start in like June and everything. And it's been anything but that. So I think going into the end of the uh, end of September, Wisdom might wisdom deserves her role. He deserves to be in this discussion. I can't help but wonder, like, what's going to happen if he improves against these shadow type pitches? Because guys have done that in years past on different teams. Justin Turner is an example. Jose Bautista is the example. Even like dating way back then, like Matt Holiday had similar problems. And it's all of a sudden, it just kind of clicks for these younger mid to late twenty hitters. And for Wisdom, if he were chasing so much and only hitting pitches down the middle of the plate, I wouldn't be as optimistic, but he's not doing that. So I think I have no choice but to be more optimistic. Well, Brendan, he better have a role come 2022 because he's featured in the uh, Field <laughs> yeah. of Dreams games promotion. He's locked graphics. in now. You can't he's go locked away. in. Yeah. You can't you can't backtrack on that. So Yeah. Well he also has like some of the best Cubs baseball fashion Corey. I mean the stirrups, he's got like the low undershirt, like and he's a he's a good looking dude too. So I mean, like, why not? Let's let's have him be the promo guy. I, I do think and I've tweeted this before, but I do think that there is a very strong team chemistry identity type thing that is on the table 
if you bring back Nicholas Castellanos uh, in that him and Patrick Wisdom use as few buttons on their jerseys as basically that will keep the jersey on. I love that. And I think there's there's an identity there, right? It has some real Tony 2 Chains vibes, like no undershirt. No buttons on the jersey. You gotta like, bring it back. We're just out too. here. Yeah, it's it's a swag thing. I think yeah, if they bring um, if they bring back Rizzo and Castellanos, man, man, I'm telling you, it's gonna happen with Rizzo. He's coming back. Oh boy, he's coming back. Or I he's coming am back. not as I'm he not as so, confident in that, and I'm he is so depressing. And what you guys don't understand is the reason that I even care that Brendan does this to himself is because you know who's gonna get the phone calls. If Rizzo signs somewhere else, do you know who's going to get the emotional texts and phone calls and have to come on this podcast and deal with it? It's me. So that's why I care that Brendan is so blatantly setting himself up for a potential disappointment because I'm the shoulder to cry on, folks. You moved on seriously. I don't believe that you moved on from Rizzo. Like I I haven't. I have not moved on, but I have long since believed that he would end up in Miami. See, I think that's a stupid opinion. Oh, I, thanks. I'm just saying, like, why? Like, if he, I don't know. I don't, he grew up more, like, most of his I, time. I, I'm the one with the stupid opinion, says the guy who's assured that he's coming back to a place that has only had weird and bad media uh, between the two of them. I, I'm, that's not true. He's had, he's had good media. Like, I could, he spent, 10 years in Chicago, Corey. Like Look, his formative I, I, I get it. I'm not Chicago. saying it can't happen. I'm just saying the Miami thing always made sense and a lot of get the Miami, discussion that stadium. That stadium since sucks. the deadline has seemed like there was a breakup and things are over. That's I, just how it seems. I, I want him you know, back. People like, get you back know together. I feel about Anthony Rizzo. People get back together even after like messy breakups to get back together. I feel like this could be one of those examples. I don't know. I think in your head you're writing a rom-com. Uh, and you're really like getting back to Little Big League. I'm the one who's just waiting for Ken Griffey Jr. to come out of frame and crush all of our dreams. I'm just anticipating it. You're hoping for a you know more storybook ending. We'll see who's right. But anyway, last thing for you, uh, before Brendan and I just get in a fight on air about this, um, I do just want to note very quickly, uh, after a two for four day on Sunday, now at 95 plate appearances on the 2021 season, Frank Schwindel, yes, 398 Frank Schwindel. WOBA, 150 WRC plus. Look so at that. he just keeps plugging along. Frank Schwindel. Yeah. I, I like Frank Schwindel. Um, Kevin Goldstein, former guy from the uh, Astros front office, used to direct the scouting department. Pretty well known around the sport. Loves Frank Schwindel. So take that as you wish. Uh, To me, I like Frank Schwindel's above average contact. He's above average power. I kind of like grew into liking him on the last uh, podcast episode. At first, I was so so jaded by Rizzo leaving that I just like naturally did not like him but now you yelled at me when I texted yeah, you I did. about him I did yeah. I did but I was still getting over the Rizzo thing no, so I it's it. only it's only fair but yeah uh, I think Frank Schwindel is right up in there with that Patrick Wisdom discussion of maybe two of the most interesting hitters as we go into September I know Hermosillo is still going to be there and everything but it's very easy to project a guy with above average contact and that is what Frank Schwindel is um if there is no DH, then he may have a role for this team next year. Uh, or rather, if there is a DH, which that would complicate how you use Nico and Magical. But that's a discussion for a different day. 
La- last thing, and just yeah. because you mentioned Hermosillo, um, you know, you talked about him being maybe one of the most interesting. I wouldn't really know because he only started one game this weekend because Jason Hayward needed to start all three of That's these games. That's unbelievable. So again, I I, I'm not I'm not trying to get into this, but I've expressed my opinion on this, and I I just don't get it. Brendan. And, you know, Hermosillo struck out a few times in the one start that he did have. But Hayward started every game this series, didn't have a single hit. And I just, I don't, I don't get why don't get he either. plays every day. I, I just don't, get, don't it get it. Like all of these spots should be used by guys you're trying to figure out. The Schwindels, the Hermosillos, whoever, right? Call anybody up. Doesn't matter. I, I just don't get why Hayward's playing every day. But I mean, send I, I don't think DM I'm going to get it. I, I mean, I, I, it just makes no sense to me, but I'm, whatever. I'm not going to try 578 OPS playing every day for <laughs> who knows what reason. I, I just don't get it. I'm just saying anyway. maybe, yeah, you want to keep going? You're passionate about this, I can tell. Well, no, maybe it's similar to the joke I just made about Wisdom. Maybe Ross saw him in that promotional graphic was like, shoot, I got to get Hayward out there. He's playing in the Field of Dreams game yeah, next bad year. Him, so bad him clean up. You never know. He's our lead guy, apparently. So. All right. Well, let me preview this upcoming series. Uh, who are they playing now? Do you even care? Okay, they're playing the Rockies. Uh, how many games is this? One, two, three. Uh, three games. All right. So a three-game set at Wrigley. Rockies coming to town. Rockies suck as well. They're 57 and 67. This is, they this suck is less just, than we do, though. Yeah, it's, that's Barely. true. Barely. Yeah. This is like, I'm just looking at the Cubs record of 54 and 72. This is like, what it's a, jarring, isn't it? It's, yeah. I, like, what the hell happened? All right, uh, who's pitching? Uh, Hendricks pitching for the Cubs, 14 to 5, 4.04 ERA. Uh, Sensatella for the Rockies, not having a good year from his win-loss record, but his ERA is 4.58. He's 2 and 9 on the year. That game is a night game, 7.05 p.m., Central start time, same start time of 7.05 on Tuesday. Justin Steele back out there for the Cubs, uh, making another start. His overall line this year, 2-2, two and 3.22 two, ERA. Herman Marquez for the Rockies, 11-9, 3.8 ERA. Wednesday to finish off his three-game set. Afternoon game, 1.20 p.m. Start time, we have Davies on the mound for the Cubs, 6-10, a 5.04 ERA. Gomber on the mound for the Rockies, 9-7, a 4.15 ERA. Uh, what we're looking for, I know what you're looking for, Corey. No Jason Hayward in the lineup. What I'm looking for is Justin Steele. Still looking at Frank Schwindel's contact rate, Patrick Wisdom's uh, shadow pitch recognition, I guess, if you want to call it that. And getting through the month of August. So we'll be almost there after this series. I think we're going to celebrate that very last game of the season, Corey, very, very, very dramatically. But we're almost there. August is almost behind us. Still interesting stories to follow. And hopefully Steele, with this start, continues to throw more change-ups in my mind and go deeper in the start. Yeah, so obviously looking for Justin Steele. Want to continue to see if Hermosillo gets playing time and how he's able to utilize that. A lot of the guys that we already talked about, um, you know, continuing to see if Ian Happ shows us anything uh, over this last month or so. And just for clarity's sake, the Cubs are 54 and 72, the Rockies 57 and 67 for those keeping track at home of the 2022 draft implications. So you will want to continue losing is, is basically if you're you're hoping to get near that top five there, you're going to want to uh, continue losing games. So Cubs seem very on board with that messaging lately. So um, 
yeah, anyway, we will talk to you guys after the Cubs and Rockies wrap things up. Uh, Try to stay sane out there. I know it's not easy when the team just loses and loses and loses. Basically, it's just a question of how many runs today. So maybe this series will be different. We'll see. Either way, we will get through it together, and we will break it all down when the Cubs and Rockies finish up on Wednesday. So as always, thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. Thank you guys for engaging with us. Thank you guys for the five-star reviews in the Apple Podcasts app. If you have not done so, we would appreciate that. And other than that, we will talk to you guys soon. Thank you again for listening and your support. And as always, go Cubs.